everyone. Welcome to Zonan Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Bedridge. Uh, this is, of course, a podcast exploring the many connections between anime and Canadian media. And in this episode, we're going to be doing a retrospective on a particular show that has had a significant cultural impact um, in Canada. And uh, we're going to be focusing on something that I th- is actually probably one of the most important or notable titles as far as... Um, as far as anime in Canada goes, it's something that probably a lot of people don't realize or know much about. It's on Sally the Witch, or specifically the Quebec-produced dub of Sally the Witch, uh, called Mini Fay. And joining me to discuss this series, um, back on the show after, I think, a couple of years now, is, uh, is Aaron <laughs> Dearden. Aaron, thanks for coming back on. Um, can, can you just give a quick intro to yourself and uh, why you are qualified to talk about Sally the Witch? <laughs> no worries. <laughs> I'm happy to be back on the show, Jesse. Um, as you just said, um, my name is Aaron. I, I make videos on YouTube under the name Aaron Cerise. Um, and I can't remember if I... It, I probably mentioned this the last time I was on, but just in case, because I, I, I don't know how long it's been, um, the... The content that I am mainly known now for making is a project called Maho Profile, A History of Magical Girls. Uh, and it's a project similar to Vega's Idols of Anime series, if you've ever seen that. It is a chronological uh, history of the magical girl genre going show by show from the very beginning. <laughs> um, and of course, Sally the Witch is generally counted as the very first magical girl anime ever, so that was my first really big project to tackle as part of that. So I, I have done a lot of research on Sally the Witch and a lot of watching of Sally the Witch. Yeah, you go quite in depth uh, in that video. And I think the, the latest one you've done in Vermaho Profile was Limit Chen. And I believe Cutie Honey is next? Yes, at some point. That's yeah. going to be a very big video. And it's n- not even not counting, like... The hiatus time that I had for a while, it's going to take a long time to make that one. There's a lot to say about Cutie Honey, for sure. Mm-hmm. For many reasons. Yes. Um, so, yeah, we're we're talking about Sally the Witch, which, as you mentioned, is mostly known, or mo- most often known as the first magical girl anime, although Sally was not the first magical girl. No, um, she's not. No. So she, was, she just happened to be the one who got her anime produced first. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, can you just, uh, in just a couple, in like a brief, in a few sentences, just what is Sally the Witch? What is this right. show all about? All right. Well, we'll do production history after. Yeah. Um, so just the main story is, is pretty simple. It's about a child witch named Sally. Uh, she takes the name Sally Yumino later. So Sally is a child from the magical kingdom. Uh, out beyond the reaches of the human realm is the magic kingdom. Uh, and she occasionally will look in on the, the, the human world and think, oh, I'd love to go there someday. And then just one day she's like, well, I'm bored. Let's do it. <laughs> so she goes off to visit the human world. And she is so enamored that she decides, oh, I'm just going to stay here. So she magics up a house for herself and she makes friends and she creates a life for herself. And as would be expected for a cartoon of this vintage, magical hijinks tend to ensue. Very, um, very inconsistent magical hijinks, uh, <laughs> but it really keeps you on your toes. You never know 
what uh, living creature she's going to conjure up out of nowhere <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> uh, it's, it's terrifying sometimes, really. And she's, she's actually the princess of the Land of Magic. Her her parents are, are king and queen. That's kind of what, I, what I've gathered. Yeah, more or less. I think uh, there seems to be her grandpa in the mix as well, who seems to be fairly important, possibly like a almost deity type figure, yeah. I feel like. Um, but yeah, her, as far as the basic plot is concerned, she's the princess and her parents are the king and queen of the Magic Kingdom. Yeah, and her, I, I did see one episode with her grandmother, who's basically just the, the stereotypical witch and seems to be senile. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't see anything about her grandfather. I know that every episode that I saw that featured the, the Magic Kingdom or the Land of Magic, or I think in the French dub, it's actually called Astoria. Um, yeah, I think it... it has a proper name. I'm not sure if it was said in the manga because I haven't been able to get a hold of the manga. But uh, I know in later versions of Sally the Witch, it, it is called Astoria. Astoria, yeah. Okay. Um, so maybe that was actually just something uh, retroactively put in an article or something. Yeah. I'm not sure. It is entirely I, possible. I just didn't see whatever episode it was actually named in. Yeah. <laughs> for, I didn't for, get to watch every episode. Yeah. N- neither of us actually speak French, so uh, we're 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 doing our we're going to do our best to try and piece together. Uh, how this show was pre- presented in the in, in the French dub, but it, we're, you know we're we're basically going off of the Japanese version, which was subtitled in English. Um, the mm-hmm. two are very close, though. It's a from from what I've been able to gather, it's oh yeah, much, it's pretty much a one to one translation with very few changes. Um, but every episode that I saw set in the land of magic, uh, it, it's the only thing you ever seem to see is her the castle she lives in, which is like this weird crystal structure in the cla- in the clouds with a black void behind it at all times i don't know if yeah was, like I just floating in space it yeah. seems like it yeah it, like where is where is this place is it in space is it just in another dimension it's it's, it's just another dimension it, yeah. and apparently they don't have it seems like they just don't have ground there they yeah. just have floating no ground. yeah they're just kind of walking on nothing all the time that's how they keep their skills up um but yeah so why is this show important so sally which like we like you know we, we've touched on it is the first it was the first magical girl anime so, the, uh, but this dub, Minifei, it actually began running uh, in Canada in 1969. Uh, so, I, I had known about this show before. We had I've t- brought it up on on previous episodes, but it wasn't until I was doing research on the previous retrospective I did for Candy Candy that I discovered just how significant Minifei actually is. Um, usually, I tr- for these retrospectives, I try to alternate between shows that had an impact in English-speaking Canada, and then I'll do an episode that focuses on a show that had an impact in French-speaking Canada. But I wanted to jump straight to Minifei, Sally the Witch, because this dub is so notable, it is so important, that I feel bad that I did not focus on it earlier. Uh, Because Minifei, it's not only the first anime dub ever produced in Canada, uh, it is also the first anime dub ever produced in the French language. It predates any anime dub produced in France. Um, and as f- I am also 99% certain that this is the first anime dub ever produced by a woman. Uh, I, it's difficult to actually p- to pin that down, but most of the work on this dub was single-handedly done by a, a woman named Bernadette Maureen. Uh, and she's, I, I'd say she's a bit of an unsung hero as far as um, uh, anime dubbing and adaptations go. Uh, before we get into the details on that uh, that dub, maybe we'll we'll look a little more at Sally the Witch 
just in Japan and uh, and the the production of the the series on that side. And Aaron, I, I think you you can probably uh, say a lot more to that than me. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, I put together a little uh, production history we can go through. In fact, this is probably going to be even like cover some info that I didn't get to cover in my Maho profile video on this because oh, since wow. I made that video, my research techniques have improved. So I found some some more detailed information that I can draw on. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, the basic thrust of it is still the same. So um, Sally the Witch started life as a manga, as a lot of anime often do. Uh, the original manga was by Mitsuteru Yokoyama, who also is known for his work on manga such as Giant Robo and Tetsujin 28. Um, known a lot more for boys manga than girls manga. Sally the Witch really is his main big manga for girls. And that story was published in the magazine Ribbon from the July issue 1966 to the October issue 1967. Uh, at the very, very beginning of the run, the series was actually called Sunny the Witch. Um, but due to a, a weird thing with trademarks, Basically, the Sony Corporation actually had a trademark on the name Sunny, which had to do with a license deal with Nissan and their car, the Nissan Sunny. Oh, weird. So, so, so it wasn't it wasn't just them trying to have the uh, the leap on uh, the knockoff name Sunny. No, Sunny. it was okay. it was more complicated than that, even. So, yeah, no, Yokoyama switched it to Sally the Witch pretty early on. I assume he probably got a letter from somebody. Yeah, this. this um, I've, I've always found this sunny thing kind of confusing, but it, it actually, it wasn't just like a prototype situation. The actual, the manga was published as Sunny the Witch for a certain period. Yeah, for a couple issues. I, yeah. I forgot to check exactly how many, but I know I've looked into it and it was just like maybe a couple issues before they made the switch. And then of course the collected volume is always published under Sally. I have found scans of the original few issue covers that do still say Sunny. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's, it's not like a like a Peter Palmer situation from the early Spider-Man comics. Where no, they, no, no. They always try to preserve that for some reason. <laughs> yeah. As far as where this manga like originally was inspired by, um, Mitsuteru Yokoyama had two main sources that I've been able to find for his inspiration on this. And the one that is most commonly cited is the American sitcom Bewitched, which, if you're not familiar, was a very popular 1960s sitcom about a witch named Samantha who marries a human man named Darren and all of the hijinks that occur from the magical side of her family coming to interfere in her new mundane life. Uh, and Bewitched is insanely popular. It was insanely popular in Japan. I don't think many people realize. Um, yeah. it, Elizabeth Montgomery was doing ads in Japan for, yeah. for like candy companies throughout the 1970s from, from, what I've, uh, mm. from what I've seen. Yeah, it, it originally aired in Japan as uh, Oksama wa Majo, which translates to My Wife is a Witch, mm. <laughs> which I think is a very delightfully straightforward title. Um, I think the, uh, the broadcast was February 1966 to September 1968. So the beginning of that broadcast actually lines up pretty nicely with when Sally started publishing in Ribbon in 1966, later that year. Uh, in fact, this is exactly why it got picked up by Toei. Uh, I have a translation here from a book called, or it's either a book or a magazine called Dogao Volume 2 Super Majoko Taisen, uh, this translation is from uh, Rachel Thorne, and this is the this is the passage. According to Toei Television Division Chief Yoshinori Watanabe, 
When he saw the three-page introduction to the new serial in the June issue of Dibon, he immediately got the idea to adapt it to television. The reason was that the American home comedy dramas Bewitched and I Dream of Jeannie were being broadcast domestically and were very popular among girls. And he thought, oh, maybe this sort of magic-themed stuff will take off here in Japan as well. Thinking this, Watanabe immediately telephoned Yokoyama and requested his approval for a television adaptation. It was decided on the spot that they would do this. As it turns out, Yokoyama himself was inspired by Bewitched when he created Sally, and from Yokoyama's point of view, the desire he'd held ever since reading the British children's novel The Magic Walking Stick as a child uh, to create his own story involving magic uh, was unexpectedly made popular by the domestic popularity of Bewitched. See, that's funny that they thought they were catching on to a long, ongoing trend in American television when it was really just those two shows. Those but two then shows. Magical Girls wound up being a uh, an institution in Japan that long outlived anything like that on, on American yeah, television. Yeah, and like Bewitched specifically ran like way beyond its original broadcast in oh, Japan. Yeah, yeah. It was broadcasting well, well into the 1980s. <laughs> I, I actually just found this out recently. It was actually remade as a live-action J-drama series in 2004. Whoa, I didn't know that. <laughs> like have with you, it, have with, you seen any of it? No, I haven't. I, I've literally only seen the pictures. Um, but it, it seems like it was remade with, like, actually Japanese characters, so it's not just the same, like, characters from the American sitcom, but it's the same premise, more or less. See, I would I would wonder how the, the themes differ, because I imagine that... Mm. I mean, I've I've noticed in Japan a lot of the times um, anything that uh, subverts the idea of like a, a domestic subservient housewife uh, seems to be of high interest a lot of the time, mm-hmm. um, or, or something that subverts that trope. So I'm, I'd be curious as to how the the Japanese version, the domestically produced Japanese version, actually approaches that. That's uh, yeah, especially that. since it was made in 2004. So yes. there's <laughs> there's a time period to take into account as well. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so all of that said, um, that was how Sally ended up being taken from manga to anim- being animated at Toei, um, and that ended up debuting. That towards the tail end of 1966, December 5th, 1966, was the first broadcast. Um, and this is another thing I'm pulling from basically the, the Wikipedia talk page, which is weirdly full of useful information. Or no, wait, this point comes from the Japanese wiki page, sorry. Uh, so the Japanese wiki page says that um, Shinichi Yukimuro, a writer on Sally, uh, said it was initially planned to only end in like half a year, like a six-month series, but its popularity kept it going for much, much longer. And Sally the Witch, it ran for 109 episodes, uh, and then the time slot that it had in Japan basically immediately became the... the What, what was it? The Witch time slot? The Witch yeah, Hour? The, right, it was... Or not the Witch Hour. After, like the, after Sally the Witch and Himitsu no Akko-chan yeah. and uh, Maho no Makochan, the three sort of initial, like series starring girls with magic powers um it began that time slot began colloquially being called the majoko time slot or the little witch girl time slot and how long and how long did that time slot continue with that trend it kept going did it go into the 90s or the 80s um it went more into the the 70s i think actually earlier er, earlier than you'd think 
um, because uh, Magical Girls kind of started to die off a little bit in the 70s and weren't really revived again until the works of uh, Piero and also um, Minky Momo started up in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so there, there, there was a dip there that um, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll probably learn yeah, more about. Yeah, and there was even a, a brief dip during Toei's reign in the genre as well uh, between Chappie the Witch and Limit Chan. And production-wise, when I was I was looking into the uh, just the staff behind the show, uh, there's something I've no I've noticed this with a couple of shows I've looked into from the 60s. There doesn't seem to be a like a chief director for Sally the Witch or right. any, any person. It seems that they just kind of rotated between um, a, a few house directors at Toei. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, think I know. I can. Sorry, go ahead. Actually, you, I think you might know more, so oh, sure. <laughs> you should continue. <laughs> I can I can confirm this for sure. I've spoken with um super fan called Salvatore slash Retro Sofa, whom I've been consulting with for my Cutie Honey video, who has confirmed to me that that's basically how Toei did their shows back in the day, up to about I think Enmokun was the first series where they first started to get like a dedicated director for them. Before then, it was basically like you said, there wasn't really a set director for Toei series before then. Yeah, it was not just Toei. I think uh, when I was looking into Attack Number One a while back, it was the same situation there, uh, and that mm-hmm. was, a, I believe, a TMS production. So, yeah, the I, I don't know if it was a matter of approach that was different or just the way that they credited people uh, was mm-hmm. at that point. But yeah, there was about five different directors that they rotated on an episode by episode basis. Uh, mo- most of them, like uh, Hiroshi Ikeda or Kazuhisa Takanochi, were. Um, you know, they they basically just have directed tons of um, uh, tons of Toei stuff over the years, mm-hmm. um, and I think some of them are still active. Uh, I I can't uh, <laughs> I can't I can't speak authoritatively on that, of course. Uh, but yeah, th- well, they that, probably that, have hella seniority at this point. Yeah, I've noticed this especially with Toei is that the same people have just kind of been working on stuff at that studio for just years and years and years. Um, mm-hmm. And, of course, one thing that gets highlighted a lot is that Hayao Miyazaki uh, did key animation on a couple of episodes as well, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of the later ones. Um, I you did I did see the, the, the one he did with the mole. Um, yes, right? and it's very, which is very You good. can really tell that he animated those sequences, or he, he did the key animation for those sequences with the it's mole. It's very obvious. Um, they, yeah. They got his, uh, his, his traits and attention to uh, to details of movement and, uh, and physics and stuff. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's a fun episode. It's not fan subbed. In fact, most of this show is not fan subbed. Um, only a handful of episodes are, which is why we're uh, I'm changing the approach to uh, this particular retrospective compared to, to some of my earlier ones. But I find a lot, a lot of the plots of Sally the Witch episodes you can follow the episode quite well without actually knowing exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time, not every episode, but <laughs> it's 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 pretty straightforward. Uh, especially when you when you understand the the running gags and the function that each character pretty much always plays. This is very true. This is why I did not subject myself to all 109 episodes, not even close. I I will say I I think I would I would have rather subjected myself to all 109 episodes of uh of Sally the Witch than have to sit through all 73 episodes of Grandizer <laughs> again. But that's just me. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Yeah. And uh, this was so. Was Sally the Witch the first anime to be broadcast in color? Because the first seven, uh, first sixteen episodes, or first seventeen episodes, are black and white, and then it switches to color after that for the remaining ninety-two. 
I'm um, not sure if it was the first, but yeah. it was definitely among the first. Yeah, definitely. It's it's hard to pin those things down sometimes because you mm-hmm. never know when there was some kind of one-off thing that may have uh, that, that may have beaten it to the punch. Mm-hmm. Um, to, uh, just going back to the Sunny the Witch thing, um, she she also ap- makes an appearance in Giant Robo, the Giant Robo yes. OVA uh, at some point, which uh, I I think is something a not a lot of people would catch on to, but that is supposed to be like a nod to Sally the Witch. Um, but like many of the creative decisions in that uh, in that OVA, it was uh, it, it came down to legal reasoning why they approached it the way that they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That whole story is just wild. The production <laughs> of that anime. Yeah, I got my uh, I got I have my giant Robo Blu-ray uh, sitting in my friend's house in the U.S. <laughs> it's going to be quite a while before I can get my hands on it, unfortunately. Uh, that's what I get for trying to um, get around paying high shipping prices for my stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, as for the uh, the this Quebec dub Mini Fay, uh, it, it's interesting to research this because um, first off, there actually is quite a bit of info about it. But when you Google Mini Fay, the first thing you're going to see are a bunch of images of uh, ball jointed dolls, uh, because <laughs> Mini Fay is also the name of a ball jointed doll manufacturer in Korea. Uh, they have domi- They now dominate the SEO for that search. Um, so you have to. It, it makes it a little trickier to look into things. But while this this show this show is actually quite well established because it started running in Canada in 1969, and it, like many uh, like many shows that started on Radio Canada, uh, the French public broadcaster, it ran throughout the 70s, 80s, and even into the early 90s on uh, on a variety of stations. Um, despite that, it's when you look at French sources that talk about French dubs of anime, um, Minifei is treated as ki- as kind of a mystery <laughs> in a lot of ways that I've found. Uh, a lot of France-based websites uh, never really seem to be sure when it aired or how long it ran for or when it debuted or what the extent the production was. That's because this dub actually to this day in all of history as far as i can tell it has never aired or been made available in any form outside of canada which is which is kind of interesting because from what i have been told by people who have a better ear for french than 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 i do Mm -hmm. the french that is spoken in this show sounds more like metropolitan or parisian french than it does like quebec french which uh that if that's the case that suggests that they had the intention of distributing this title internationally. Mm-hmm. And, it, and over the decades, despite the fact that anime took off in France almost a full decade after this dub was released, um, it never actually happened. Actually, um, I have an interesting theory from my roommate who is actually uh, Franco Alberton and oh, has yeah? heard some of this as well. And can, uh, one confirms exactly what you said. It sounds yeah. to, to them like it was metropolitan Parisian French as well. Um, but <laughs> the the theory that they have is that um, for the longest time, Cana- or French Canadian speakers seemed to have a kind of like almost a shame about their own language in media, yeah. like on television. <laughs> so maybe it was less of an international export thing and more of like we want this to sound classier kind of thing. <laughs> maybe uh, that's that's also a very good theory. Uh, that that <laughs> makes sense as well. Sound of the which was dubbed into other languages as well. Um, Italian, Spanish, and Polish, but those dubs were all produced later. I think not until the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you aware of any other international dubs the show's had? I I don't think I even pinned down all of them because there were a bunch of them. But 
yeah. I think I would have to find my notes on that again yeah. to figure for, out what I know about that. Yeah, for for many years though, uh, like as far as I can tell, with uh, the research that I've done, um, Minifay was the only international adaptation of Sally the Witch anywhere, uh, which which is interesting because Toei was exporting a lot of stuff at this time, not so much TV shows, more movies. But yeah, Sally the Witch was well before the uh, sort of explosion of anime titles in France and, and the rest of Europe. Uh, interestingly, as I mentioned, it was it, it does appear to be the first French-language dub of an anime ever. Um, there was no French dub of the original Astro Boy, uh, as I originally thought. Um, there was a dub of uh, Kim of the White Lion, inter- interestingly, produced by Sonolab, the same company that handled... Um, Minifay, a couple of years after, that one aired on Radio Canada, and that one actually was exported to France uh, in the early 70s. And I I think it might be the first, an- the, that Kim of the White Lion dub, I think that, that might be the first anime that ever aired in France. I'm not sure. I can't confirm that. I've never seen that directly mm-hmm. stated. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refrain from, from definitively making that claim. <laughs> but that seems like that might be the case. Um, it makes it the, sound like Minifay was an experiment, almost. See, there's an interesting story behind it. It was it was licensed by a Montreal-based film distributor uh, called Le Film J. A. La Pointe, uh, or J. A. La Pointe Films. Uh, it was run by a couple, Joseph Albert and Marguerite La Pointe. Uh, they founded the company in 1949, uh, and... What they mainly did was they distributed and translated international films, uh, mostly art house films that otherwise were completely unobtainable um, in Quebec in the 1950s and 1960s. And what they would do is they would pick up the rights to films. Um, I think they would mostly run them subtitled. They may, they may have produced dubs for some of them as well. And they held a weekly event called Cine Weekend uh, at the auditorium of the Hotel Dieu Hospital. Uh, this building is now known as The Chum. Um, mm. And every weekend they, they, they screen these films. Uh, and Lapointe, uh, he, he traveled to Japan quite a bit, and he had, uh, he had just fallen in love with Japanese cinema. They screened many films by Japanese directors. And one of the most famous ones that they, had, um, they distributed was Kwaidon, uh the 1964 film by Masaki Kobayashi. Um, that that's actually one of the films that put J.A. LaPointe on the map. So this is not a company that really dealt with television uh, a lot of time. Uh, they, they're still operating yeah. today, by the way. They they're they're a distributor. I think they they still mainly deal with um, more art house films rather than Hollywood films. Uh, but they they do distribute um, uh, uh, foreign films in Quebec. So they're they're not a company that has generally specialized in television too much. So I'm not sure exactly what led to them licensing Sally the Witch. If I were to take a guess, it would probably be that they had a relationship with Toei Productions. And as I mentioned at the time, Toei had begun distributing some of their films in North America, like Alakazam the Great and, and Little Norse Prince. Mm-hmm, that um, would make sense. Yeah. And they probably wanted to use their relationship with J.A. LaPointe as a way to break into the French-Canadian market. Um, so why that led to them offering Sally the Witch when they ha- when Sally the Witch hadn't showed up in any other market anywhere on Earth, um, I do not know. Um, that my best guess would be that they had pitched Sally the Witch to to other markets and it didn't take, but for some reason it did. Um, 
when they when they offered it to J. A. Lapointe. I can't I can't pin down those exact details, but nonetheless, it wound up this company wound up licensing uh, Sally the Witch, and they produced an in-house dub. Uh, rather, they uh, they tapped a company called a small dubbing studio called Sonolab to uh, produce a dub. They did not dub the first 17 black and white episodes. In fact, I don't think any localization of Sound of the Witch has ever dubbed those black and white episodes. They always skip just to the color ones. Oh, that's so, interesting. That's yeah. something I didn't know. Yeah. So they did dub all the color episodes. So that was a 92-episode run. Also, as far as I can tell, I think the episodes were run out of order. Uh, Although, I don't, you don't yeah. need to run them in order. Yeah, I mean, there's there's one character, Polon, who who comes around late mm-hmm. in the late late half of the series. She's, like, not actually Sally's sister, but just a... Yeah, she's uh, just another random child, as far as I can tell. Yeah, just another random child who who comes to create various mischief uh, in Sally's house. And so, I mean, that's pretty much the only thing that um, that changes partway through the series. Uh, but yeah, as far as I can tell, they were they were not run in order because the episode listing that I found doesn't seem to correspond with the Japanese titles at all. So I can't I can't actually link these 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 French titles to the Japanese titles, unfortunately, which was a little frustrating. I was hoping to find more overlap. I've only watched a, a selection of episodes, uh, both in French and some of the subtitled episodes, and there are n- there none of the episodes that have been fan subbed in English correspond with the episodes that have been posted online of the mm-hmm. French dub. So I was really hoping there might be at least one bit of overlap there, but there wasn't. But anyway, J. A. Lapointe films uh, basically threw this project into the lap of Sonolab, and this entire production was handled by uh, Bernadette Maureen who, as I mentioned, I am pretty sure she's the first woman to handle a uh, a foreign language dub of an anime uh, in, in any country. Uh, she she handled the ADR production. She voiced, she did the voice of Sally, or Minnie Faye, as she was renamed. Oh, nice. Version. And she also uh, wrote the lyrics for and sang the theme song. And I should also point out that the fact that Sally is a witch is supposed to be a secret. Uh, this is... <laughs> I, I, want, I know of. what you're going to say, and I wondered about this, too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the series doesn't always do the best job of maintaining the fact that it's a secret, but Minifei translates to, like, Little Fairy, so the fact that she's called Little Fairy completely <laughs> gives away the fact that she is she is a witch, which is... Or at the uh, very least, her parents have very strange ideas about how to name children. Yes. Um, and downright irresponsible. Um, but, but this is on the level of the the Italian dub of Miracle Girl Limitchan calling her Cybernella, but trying to hide the fact that she's a robot. <laughs> but but the, here's the funny thing: all the other characters, the names are all changed, but their char- their names resemble the Japanese names. Um, so she she has two friends. Uh, I mean, it, this all starts with her. Sa- she comes to Earth and she saves her she saves these two girls and they become friends and that's why she wants to to live on earth and interact with humans um yoshiko who is she's the more the, the more interesting friend for sure uh she's hmm. more more of a cartoon character she has a very nasally voice in japanese she's yoshiko in the french dub she's yolande um and then there's also Sumire, who's the more feminine um less interesting friend yeah she's not in as many episodes as far as i saw She's just ki- she's just kind of there when they need a third character to dispense lines most of the mm-hmm. time. I find she's um they, they I don't know if it was if that's the case in the manga, but certainly in the anime they they figure out 
very quickly that she is the, the that Yoshiko is the interesting one. She has more storylines focused around her. She gets more lines. She gets more things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Sumire is just yeah. kind of there. Um, the only Sum- time I ever saw anything done with Sumire was like the episode where Sally tries to learn what tears are, and they use her as like the 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 one who gets mad at her for not crying. Uh, okay, <laughs> uh, but she is Suzanne in the. Uh, in the French version, Poron, who's the little girl who shows up later in the series, she's Pauline. So they try to keep these names all kind of kind of similar to the uh, the Japanese mm-hmm. names, but that all seems to make sense. But I don't understand it because they could have just they could have just kept her name as Sally, but they changed it to Minifei. So. And you could still call it Minifei. She's like she's yeah. a Minifei. Exactly, but and it, it, even the theme song. The theme song. It is the French theme song, or sorry, mm-hmm. it, the French theme song. It is a, an adapt, direct adaptation of the Japanese theme song, and it actually kind of works better in French because Minifei has more syllables. Uh, so when it goes in the Japanese version, it goes Sally, Sally. In the French version, it's Minifei, Minifei. I think it actually works well, better. I guess, I guess but, the way Japanese syllables work is technically three syllables, but whatever. <laughs> Okay, all right. Um, I still think it works better with it the does, French, but it makes no. It, it does, does not make any sense. Syllables. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense for her name to be Mini Faye. I think that that, that that's a one of the few missteps in this adaptation. Um, but yeah, it is for the most part. Uh, it's a straight adaptation in every way. Um, there's no real cuts or anything. Uh, the the lines are all faithful to what they say in the Japanese version, roughly. There's no effort made to hide Japanese text anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I noticed that when I watched yeah. some, yeah. Yeah, and like the, the episodes, that, there was a DVD release It's that's out there. It has only 26 episodes, so it's incomplete. Um, I, can't, I couldn't find any copies for sale online. If you live in Quebec, I would imagine, it came out in 2014, you can probably find a used copy somewhere. Um, and uh, yeah, if you do grab it because it's a this is, this is a neat thing to check out for sure but most of the episodes that you'll find floating around on youtube and various places online they are like direct recordings off of television mm-hmm. if you see things like japanese text it's not because someone did a restoration this is how it aired uh when it aired on canadian television and yeah so the the dub it started in on september 2nd 1969 they pretty quickly got through all the episodes and it reran numerous times uh, over the next couple of decades on a variety of channels. It started on Radio Canada, which of course means that it was available It was available in pretty much every major metropolitan area of Canada, of course. No one would bother seeking it out unless um, you spoke French. But it was there, and a lot of, a lot mm-hmm. of people didn't, probably didn't even realize it. Yeah, I can certainly tell you that there's still a lot of nostalgia for it, like based on the comments I got of my Sally the Witch video. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, so much information about um, anime and French comes from france-based sources and it's treated as like this this kind of mystery that people don't really know a whole lot about but it it was like kind of this inescapable thing in quebec for so long that uh a lot of people definitely saw but it just never it just never aired outside of there at all um and yeah it aired aired on radio canada reruns also ran on uh, tvjq and canal family so regarding the cast in french uh, it was a pretty limited cast. Uh, most actors were doing multiple roles, and these were a lot of them were actors who would go on to do um, who would go on to do uh, other productions in, in in Quebec as well. As far as I can tell, Sonolab they didn't really do very much after Minifei and 
Kimba the White Lion, but uh, the actors uh, did did go on to 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 do other things because a number of anime titles were dubbed in uh, in Quebec uh, more than I think a lot of people realize. Um, as as I touched on in the in the Candy Candy episode, um, so, so well, I mean we'll, we'll we'll get onto these characters in a bit, but. Um, but Yoshiko has these three triplet brothers mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, who were – they seem to be kind of breakout characters in the show, or they get a lot, they certainly get a lot of attention. They're, they're lovable scamps. That's what yes. they are. <laughs> in Japanese, they all have the same voice actress. Yes, they uh, do. Doing and they're, they're all voiced by Masako Nozawa, the voice of uh, oh. Goku in Dragon Ball. Oh, I didn't know that. Actually, I think you, po- <laughs> I, actually, I think you mentioned that in your video, and I forgot. Yeah, she also um, voiced um, Sally's mom, so uh, – this method for the French dub was replicated in the Japanese yeah. dub as well. Yeah, but it's like it's like Sally's dad and Sally's teacher have the same voice actor. For in the the French version, two of the twins or two of the triplets have um or Pierre and Jacques, as they're called, they have the same voice. Uh, Philip Philip Arnaud, but the other triplet Paul has a different actress, um, Bridget Maureen, who is the daughter of Bernadette Maureen. Bridget Maureen would actually go on to also do the voice of Candy Candy in the Quebec dub of Candy Candy and also some, some of the redubbing uh, that was done in, in France later. She would move to France. She would later change her name to Amelie Maureen. And she's actually a, she's actually a famous singer. Uh, and that's actually what she's more well known for. Uh, and she was apparently very reluctant to do any kind of voice acting because she didn't want to do the same thing her mother did. But she uh, she just got kind of shoehorned into this into this role that should have logically gone to this other person who was doing the other two twins <laughs> and then wound up being like super famous um, here honey i got you a voice acting gig for your birthday yeah and uh, actually you can find there's actually way more information uh, out there about uh, amelie maureen than there is about bernadette maureen mm. but yeah this this whole production was like her baby she did uh she handled basically every every part of it uh, apart from you know, the, uh, apart from the voices that she didn't do, mm-hmm. um, and again, it was the first French dub ever produced, first dub produced in Canada, uh, po- possibly le- led to Kimba the White Lion um, being the the first dub to air, or first anime to air in France. Again, don't quote me on that. Not sure, but uh, obviously, really big impact on um, on the content that you'd be seeing on um, on French Canadian TV for many years to come. So. Uh, I think, uh, again, she doesn't get the attention she deserves because um, the work she did on this show cast a long shadow. So Sounds like it. Yeah. Um, and she, just as an aside, does a very, very good Sally voice, too. Like, it sounds basically exactly like the Japanese Sally voice. Yeah. As I've said, um, neither of us really have an ear for French, but as far as I can tell, this this dub is a, it's a solid production. Mm-hmm. Um, like, as all the major characters sound more or less like their Japanese equivalents, the yeah. only one who has kind of a different voice that I could pick up on was Cub, the kind of little brother type character, who is a yeah. little less bratty sounding than he is a Japanese. Yeah, he's and he's he's not her brother. He is her <laughs> magical assistant. Yeah. He's posing as her brother. But for all intents and purposes, she is all he is always treated as her younger mm-hmm. brother in all cases, um, which is a. It, it's it's such a pointless distinction, but I yeah, like I, he I, might as well have just been her brother. I don't know why they made the distinction. But. Yeah, it's it, it's kind of weird. Also, he's basically Astro Boy. Um, 
that, that's another thing about Sally the Witch is it's full of like visual references to other things that were popular at the time. Mm-hmm. That it was oh, so about. many it Disney references. So many, um, so, so many uh, not ju- not just Bewitched. Um, like, well, I mean, like, so what, what we're going to do for this episode, usually I watch an entire show and then we just kind of focus on things that, uh, that stand out about the show or what were th- things that were important over the course of its run. Um, but because it's impossible to watch all of Sally the Witch in English, and there's so little of it available, and also it's unnecessary to do so, I thought what we do is we just look at one episode, uh, one of the few episodes that you can get a fan sub for, and just do a little bit of a deeper dive than usual. Because um, I think that this episode that we, we picked, which is episode 43, a Classmate in Crisis, it touches on most of the, the things you see most frequently in Sally the Witch. You see most of the major characters showing up. I watched through the episode, took some notes, we'll just kind of go through it scene by scene. Uh, I've never done it this way before, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. So, I mean, go, going back to that theme song, uh, like I mentioned, it's identical in both versions. It was sung by Bernadette Maureen in French, uh, and it was sung by a trio called the Three Graces in Japanese, uh, who have done lots of anime music and, and drama themes and commercial jingles. Um, and, man, those first few notes just pierce right through you when you start watching the, <laughs> watching the episode. Um, the opening, st- in Japan, the Japanese version, the opening starts with a, you know, a really cool looking shot of Sally transforming a tree into her house. Um, yeah, that's fr- like the early Sakuga for all you Sakuga nerds out there. Yeah. So the, the opening theme, visually, it's identical, in the French version, is identical to the Japanese version, but they cut that first shot out which is disappointing because it's one of the coolest shots um in the show and they just replace it with the jankiest uh looking reversed still shot of um sally waving on her broom uh it's it's reversed and it's has inverted colors and, and it's just like you have this very uh very piercing vocal going over it you get it it does not create a good first impression in my opinion <laughs> Yeah. That's basically how it comes across. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, you know, any any version you find out there is going to be very muffled as well. So you, you don't think that you're going to be in for a good time when you watch uh, when you watch an episode of Mini Fae, but it actually is, um, you know, it's like I said, it's a good production. And then we, we see the rest of the opening um, cutting right to an homage to one of the most important anime of all time, uh, which is uh, Tom and Jerry. Naturally. <laughs> and if you don't understand that reference, it's because in Japan, about a decade ago, they were doing these surveys on 
what average viewers thought were the the greatest anime of all time. And for some reason, Tom and Jerry kept showing up uh, <laughs> on those lists, which I I don't know. I, I guess it was something that just ran on TV a lot. In the, Probably. In the, in like the There were like tons of yeah. Disney things airing all the time. I can imagine like just regular other Western cartoons were as well. And yes, but again, that's an, another example of just the pastiche of... Um, of of of, po- of things that are that are popular on Japanese television showing up. Um, also, in the first ending theme, there's some very obvious nods to "I Dream of Genie" in there. Um, in the, the episode before this, uh, episode 42, there's a scene where where Cub, who in the French version he's called Danny, um, he transforms into a bulldog, and it is very it is that bulldog is very clearly Spike Bulldog mm-hmm. from Tom and Jerry. But yeah, this when we get to the actual episode, uh, it starts with with Sally in the Magic Kingdom. Uh, which, as I mentioned, it's just this crystal castle uh, with no with no floor or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and which I don't can... think I've mentioned, by the way, this castle looks to me at least a little bit like the the castle in Sailor Moon in the Moon Kingdom. So I wonder if there's some inspiration going on there. I I wouldn't doubt that at all. Uh, actually, I, I didn't I didn't notice that at first, but that makes perfect sense now that you mention <laughs> it. Sally has been away from the mortal world for a week because she needs to brush up on her magic for a magic exam, which she had just taken. So we start with her just frolicking around with a uh, kind of funny looking uh, f- funny looking walk cycle. Uh, the, the episode before this, episode forty two, um, which is the that, that's the for the earliest color episode you can get a fan sub of, because I th- I think the person who originally fan subbed this they only had access to those episodes so sounds like th- it yeah those remain the only like a, a, a one stretch of like episode 42 to 48 so those those remain the only fan sub color episodes and then someone else went back and did like the f- first few black and white ones but um the, the rest has not been translated due to lack of interest but yeah she she's frolicking along uh and she runs into uh into into cub or danny whatever you want to call him he has been for some reason, he's a slug, and then she pours salt on him, claiming that he's in her way, even though there's uh, enough room for her to move around. Which is, um, is great for me, because I, I friggin' hate Cub, so any episode that starts <laughs> with causing Cub trouble is a good episode in my eyes. Yeah, he gets he gets picked on a lot in this show, and rightfully, rightfully so. And then her mom just kind of slides into the frame. Uh, and then we're, we're introduced to Sally's parents, uh, who are talking to her about her magic test. Um, now I gotta say, uh, Sally's father, the king of, um, <laughs> the Magic Kingdom. He's so he good. Is one of the, he's so, he is one of the most unintentionally hilarious characters I have seen in quite a while. <laughs> I'd argue this, intentionally, but yes. <laughs> okay, maybe intentionally, but he, he, well, he just, he has this really aggressive, domineering kind of voice. But he just, his, his mouth is just, like he has no mouth, he has no mouth most of the time. He's just this mustache, um, with a blank expression on it. He's, he's so funny looking. There's this gigantic shot of him, pointy hair, and there's this, just this great shot of him mixing a potion. And it's, uh, I, I could watch a gif of it all day. It's just so funny. Um, but yeah, he points out that uh, you know Sally blew it on her test. Her, her scores were embarrassingly low, especially for the princess of the land of magic or Magic Kingdom or whatever, whatever you call whatever it. Whatever translation you're going um, off of. Uh, and he also goes into describing magic as a as a kind of science that requires knowledge of basic chemistry, uh, which I don't think is something we consist. I don't I don't think it's how it's consistently approached in this series at all. And he instructs Sally to recreate the potion uh, before she's allowed to return to the human world. And it seems like that's not going to happen anytime soon. But she's able to convince her mother to let her go home because the the previous week 
she had been tasked with assisting the new student at, in her class, Yukari, and just uh, helping her acclimatize to to her new school. So when she that that that's enough to convince her mother to let her slip away and fly home again through space or time or uh, or whatever. Whatever means. <laughs> whatever they never means really explain is, exactly how yeah. it works. <laughs> and there she meets she meets up with uh, Sumire or Suzan and tries to come up with a story of you know where she's been for the last week. She says that she's been at the beach and just conjures up a seashell that she hands to her, which uh, she doesn't question at all. At this point in the series, there's there's been enough weird stuff that's happened that I think they just don't question anything anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she asks how things are going with Yukari, and uh, as she finds out things have not been going well, uh, so Sally does run into Yukari later, the new student, uh, and finds that she can't find her bag. Uh, so... Sally wants to help her out, so, you know, when Yukari's not looking, she turns her own bag into a dog. And <laughs> you know, as you do, that's just a logical do. way to solve that problem. And instructs the dog to to search for her bag. And I have to say, I, I mentioned before how Sally's ability to create life from nothing is kind of Ooh. terrifying. And Oh, God, yeah. In, like, one of the black and white episodes, there's a point where she's trying to practice conjuring and conjures, like... A kangaroo with a unicorn horn that is like painfully grabbing at its own head, and then you see that it has like a baby in its pouch that's doing the same thing. That's horrifying. That's that's <laughs> awful. And they just disappear after that. So I assume they lived for a, a collective total of ten seconds. Don't don't think pain. about it. Don't think about it. Um, she does. She finds Yukari's bag, and then after she finds Yukari's bag, she turns the dog back into her bag, but the the bag keeps whimpering, so it's still it's still alive. For, some some for at least I have a no mouth and I must bark. Stuff. <laughs> I like about this show is that they can always be very inventive about the types of magic that Sally mm -hmm. uses. Uh, there's there's no consistency to it at all, which is it's not that's not a bad thing. It creates some very interesting set pieces. Most of the episodes have like some kind of some kind of interesting little sequence or set piece based on a spell that. Sally casts, and it's and it this keeps that from being repetitive, uh, but it it definitely leads to some odd decisions, which will hurt your head if you if you try to think <laughs> about it too much. So S Sally comes to the conclusion that uh, Yukari was being bullied because uh, someone hit her bag on her, and she goes to confront her her friends about this. She she discovers that the class has basically turned on Yukari because students are instructed to stay behind to clean up or help maintain the school garden, and both times when Yukari had promised that she would do so, she just fled home without saying anything. Uh, and she's now being actively chastised by the class for uh, for not following the rules. And mm -hmm. that's why Which, her, her bag in was. hindsight, knowing what her reasons are, I still don't know why she did not explain herself earlier. That, see, that's that's the weird thing about this episode. We, we, we touch on what's going on a little later, but it doesn't make any sense that she wouldn't at least try to explain uh, the reason. She, she basically just doesn't explain because we wouldn't have an episode if she did. Yeah, exactly. And despite the ostracization, the <laughs> horrible ostracization that it has uh, it has led to. And uh, but of course, we're supposed to uh, to empathize with the classmates to to an extent for some reason. Sally talks to Yukari, and they pinky swear that she will show up to weed the school grounds. Um, and again. Uh, she still doesn't show up. Uh, so, so not only is Yukari not saying uh, her actual reason for not being able to stay behind, she is uh, 
she she is actively trying to let Sally down. So you know, I th- I think some of this is kind of on her. It really end, is. But, like, yeah. I have sympathy for what her situation ends up being, but like, yeah. she could have said something and at least not said, "Oh, I can't, I can't commit to this." Yeah, so she she's definitely um, not putting expectations in the right place here. Uh, Sally actually has a bet with her classmates that uh, Yukari will show up, and if she loses the bet, she has to do a handstand. Um, and she loses, so she, without the aid of magic, uh, she stands, uh, upside down, and then, uh, the first half of the episode, uh, ends on a, an upside down shot of Yukari leaving the school grounds as she watches all of her classmates, uh, do the weeding. Uh, <laughs> which, which actually makes me think maybe she could have just, like, gotten a little bit of an early start <laughs> and then checked out. Anyway, still interesting shot to, to end that part of the episode on. Some really, uh, Bizarre background character design choices <laughs> in these scenes too. There are some. Uh, this is common some, for toy productions. Yeah, some abominations in that class. There's there's one guy who looks like a mutated Chihuahua. Another that looks like another student looks like a living Picasso piece. Um, but but I watched some of the black and white episodes early on, and one thing that kind of struck me was that a lot of scenes, especially in like the first couple of episodes, would be very sparsely populated. You would not really see background characters. You'd only see characters that are necessary for a scene, for the most part. Um, I know that in, I think in episode two, when you first see a a filled classroom, which is the first time where they have to draw a lot of characters, every character is impeccably detailed. Like, so much detail is put into every student in, in, in the first few shots when they're trying to establish the schoolyard. Obviously, that... Uh, <laughs> That, that they did not keep up that level of effort in, uh, in showing keep up with became, whatever weekly airing schedule, like, uh, this, I'll just draw a guy and his they, face uh, is a blob, sure. They, they, they had some lead time, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> but, uh, it's it, it still, still kind of interesting how the early approach was more don't draw characters unless it's necessary, but when you do draw a character, keep everything very on model and, um, and detailed. Mm-hmm. So definitely getting into more of a, nor, like a, more of a standard approach. Yeah, they they learn some efficiency tricks along the way. Yeah. In the scene where um, Sally has to do a handstand and lose her bet, as they're gardening, everybody's wearing very nice sweaters that um, are not seen really in any other episode. Uh, and it's kind of interesting to see characters in their non-standard outfits. Oh yeah, I, yeah, they designed they designed outfits specifically for this scene. Um, which was probably un- which was probably unnecessary too. I mean, they even have pants on all the girls too. Mm-hmm. Uh, which which is, yeah, which is know. why it stands out. You know yes, what I bet it, it is now that you say that. If Sally has to do a handstand in the scene, what happens if she's wearing a skirt? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that uh, you defy gravity with a skirt in, in an anime, <laughs> but maybe they just they weren't they weren't thinking that far ahead. That yeah that 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 might be the reason actually. <laughs> maybe maybe it was a uh, a censorship thing or a network request um but it's still interesting that they would you know design outfits specifically for gardening of all things or a garden mm-hmm. or a um a very a, nice outfit yeah yeah <laughs> not something i want to wear if i were gardening for sure um, especially since they're white pants so after the after the commercial break uh sally confronts yukari and she continues being weirdly resistant to explaining why she isn't carrying out her duties as a as a student and we see in a shortly after Yukari arrives back home to her to her mansion because uh, it's also worth pointing out everyone in this show lives in a house, um, which, which is was not, not common. It was not common, um, not something you see later on in anime. Like 
even in shows like Sailor Moon, where, of course, Usagi lives in a house, it's not really normalized. The impression you're supposed to get is that her, her family is quite well off. But here you have everyone lives in a house, which is not a normal situation in mm. really any area of Japan, even in the 1960s at all. So, yeah, even even Yoshiko's family, who's supposed to be a little bit more on the poorer side, have yeah. their own house, at least, I think. Yeah. So, Although they are in danger of getting evicted every now and then. Yeah, yeah. Definitely an interesting choice. I'm not sure if it's because it's just emulating American cartoons, or or it's just an aesthetic choice mm. in, in this particular case. There um, are at least some scholars that have um, talked about that and theorized about yeah. that. There's a great essay, um, I think, by, by Akiko Sugawa, I think her name is, um, that has talked a lot about the the Western influences in Sally and how oh, Western coded yeah. Sally is, and especially like the differences between say how Yochan from the poorer Japanese family tends to be more traditionally Japanese, whereas Sumire, the rich friend, is more like Western coded. Oh, okay. I, so, so there's I, I something going on yeah. there. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't catch on to that with uh, with the episodes I've seen. But I, uh, I, I, now that I think about it, I see what you're what you're saying there, and and also the way Yon Chan is is uh, is characterized as well as her brothers, mm-hmm. um, and you know why she's the why she's the more interesting friend by far. But, yeah, and Sally and everyone from the Magic Kingdom is clearly coded as like supposed to be like Western foreigners. Yeah. So anyway, we follow Yukari. She arrives back in her mansion, and it is a mansion. She is she is uh, she, she is established as being a, a a a rich girl and from a rich family. Um, and as she enters, she's immediately uh, assaulted by four tutors who are all trying to drag her to various lessons. As it turns out, she has uh, excessive commitments to uh, after school extracurricular education. We get to the scene where she's being simultaneously taught how to paint. Uh, and learn the alphabet and and learn music. Uh, of these four uh, tutors, I think the art tutor is my favorite. He, uh, <laughs> he has this deformed upside down pear head. All these tutors seem to be not not only overworking her, but they're all kind of in competition with each other. Mm-hmm. This is this is obviously the reason why Yukari's not able to stay behind because she's um she, she's she's being overworked with uh with with expectations of having to visit with these tutors after school. Um, so Sa- Sally talks with, with Cub or um, or Danny or Minnie Faye talks with Danny or whoever you want to <laughs> put it about the situation. Um, when suddenly uh, Yoshigo's brothers, um, who we know as the, the Hanamura triplets or Pierre, Paul, and Jacques, as they are in the French version, um, just knock on the door and uh, and say, hey, we've come to bully you. <laughs> Which, uh, which is very on brand for them. Very on brand. It's they they've got it down to a routine now. Uh, which Cub don't just, feel uh, bad for Cub because Cub bullies them back just as bad. Yeah, they're mutual yeah. bullies. And and Cub just welcome, just thanks them for coming and invites them right on in and uh, and welcomes this abuse with open arms. These three characters are they're they're a lot of fun. They show up in most episodes. Um, I've noticed with like a lot of the like with the later ending themes, that they seem to get an increasing amount of focus mm-hmm. uh, as it goes on. I don't know if that was also the case in the manga. Um, and I just remember what you said in your um, video about Limit Chan, about how so much of the episode seems to focus on, uh, like, Boss, the... Uh, oh, yeah, the bully character. The, the bully character. And I, I'm just wondering if having these kind of um, mischievous boy characters uh, or giving them shifting a lot of attention towards them 
Like, is this is this like a way to try to keep boys watching the show? I don't know. It might also be just the fact that like having girls as the main characters was unusual at the time. So I think yeah. a lot of writers were probably more used to having boys having hijinks. Yeah. Like, what do you do with girls? They can't be involved in slapstick, obviously. No, um, they they worked on that over time for sure. Um, yeah. But early on, I feel like they leaned a lot on like more traditional, like boy oriented antics to fill time. Yeah, these char- these characters pop up quite frequently, and I mean, there's lots of great set pieces with them. They're 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 not bad. They're 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 not bad. They're they're quite funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're certainly they're more some... enjoyable than Cub, who just comes across yeah. as like a brat most of the time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, anyway, Cub completely welcomes this abuse because as he claims, uh, this might be the last time that they'll be able to beat him up. That like after interacting with Yukari and getting the cold shoulder, Sally's like, well, what the hell? Everybody's awful. I'm just going to go back home if everyone's going to be like this. Sa- Sally loses faith in humanity. Uh, like, cause after. her friends are being assholes and Yukari's yeah. being an asshole back. Like, is this what humans are really like? Well, God, screw this then. Yeah, it's it's taken her a few episodes to to come to that conclusion, but uh not I guess not not an inappropriate reaction because everyone is <laughs> acting pretty shitty in this episode. Yeah. Uh in 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 many ways. Um but yeah, this this obviously has gotten to cub and we 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 have this kind of legitimately this, this uh, emotional touching scene moment where, between mutual bullies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mentioned before how in the French dub, one of the characters is uh, is voiced by Amelie Maureen. I cannot understand how they were able to keep track of which triplet she <laughs> I, was supposed to I imagine to be. it has to be arbitrary based on whatever yeah. is going on in the scene. Yeah, like they're like these characters are indistinguishable. They are, yeah, <laughs> which is which leads to it being kind of a ridiculous decision. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> so wanting to uh, find a way to resolve the situation after. I, I guess Sally had her faith in humanity slightly renewed by this gesture from the triplets. Mm-hmm. So she decides to try and investigate what's going on with Yukari and see if she can she can help. Yeah, like um, she wants to make sure that this is like really that yeah. awful before leaving forever. Yeah, yeah. Oh, by so, the way, as as they leave, by the way, this animation of Sally running through the wall of her house—that's something that's reused a lot throughout the series. That that cycle of her running through the wall. So they listen in on her mother talking with the piano tutor, uh, and that's where, uh, or sorry, Yukari's mother talking with the piano tutor, and that's where she reveals that she had been raised uh, in the mountains and had married into a rich family and had a very difficult time adjusting to urban life. And she had basically hired these tutors to try and make sure that her daughter uh, wouldn't have uh, a similar experience or have any difficulty uh, kind of living in high society. Uh, after she had uh, such a hard time, which is so, some interesting things going on there. For, mm-hmm. First, um, this idea this idea of moving from the mountains into an ur- not being able to adjust to an urban landscape. I I don't know if this was a familiar problem for people in in sixties Japan, or or a stock problem, or something that would have seemed kind of weird then. Um, it's certainly not something you'd hear anyone say these days because. It doesn't matter what mountain town you come from. There, there are vending machines there mm-hmm. um, now, but I, obviously not. Hard to say history. since we're not experts yeah. on this time period. Yeah, um, st- still an in- an interesting dilemma whether it's uh, whether it's an actual relatable one or just kind of a, um, a, a, a one that was presented as being bizarre at that time. Um, also strange that despite 
you know, being raised in an urban society, she would still have those concerns for her daughter. So there's obviously some 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 projection going on there. Mm-hmm. On, 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 and it, on it seems like she's still having trouble because it seems yeah. like she also does not know how to schedule any of these tutors. The, the reason that Yukari is going along with this is because she knows that her mother had such a difficult time arranging all of these tutors and getting them to help her out. Uh, so it might legitimately be, be because she's just not able to you know, coordinate things like this. Yeah, like, she seems genuinely surprised later when she realizes her daughter doesn't actually have time to stay after school or have time with yeah. friends. Like, h- how would she? Yeah. So, yeah, I think you're right. Some some implication that the mother's a bit out of touch here. Mm-hmm. Um, also, um, very very interesting uh, little, little, little magic uh, scene here where Sally turns Cub into a pair of glasses. So this this uh, problem of life um, conjuring goes the opposite way, too. There's nothing to suggest that she couldn't have just conjured a pair of glasses out of mm-hmm. nothing to see through the wall, but she actually has to turn Cub into a pair of glasses that she see, that she uses to peek through the wall to listen to the conversation. Which I guess the glasses give her hearing powers as well. Yeah, hearing powers, because she's, she's not, she's listening, she's using glasses to listen in. <laughs> Definitely, again, goes into a lot of inconsistency uh, in the way the magic works, which leads to a lot of creativity. But, man, like, I don't... Why why does she have to turn Cub into a pair of glasses? That's that's really weird. This is very, very interesting compared to another Magical Girl series, a non-Toei series um, called Marvelous Melmo, which has uh, a very, like, rigid structure for the magic that they use, which creates its own kind of creativity with trying to work around the rules of it. So it's it's kind of interesting seeing the two different approaches, this very, yeah. very open approach versus a very restricted approach. So Yukari uh, reveals that she's been overwhelmed with the tutors, uh, and she does want to help her classmates uh, at maintaining the school, but also didn't want to upset her mother, because she knows how hard she'd work to, to put all this together for her, which I don't buy for a second, because again, Yukari actively said that she was going to help them and then didn't so yeah like the only the only thing i can think is like does does deciding not to tell her mom mean she also decided not to tell anyone for reasons i i I don't i don't get it yeah and i don't know why the tutors are so competitive but sally and cub have pretty much realized that right now they are the ones that need to be removed from the picture so that uh, Yukari and her mother can sort out the problem. So they begin to sabotage them. Yukari is uh, working with a singing tutor, and they they uh, transform her voice into a deep masculine voice. Oh boy, uh, which, isn't that uh, funny? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not what she's used to, so obviously it would be a, a, a surprise. Like suddenly getting a frog in your throat, I guess. Yeah, yeah. They uh, turn her ikebana teacher's floral display into some weird uh, postmodern art pieces uh, and then just cause her dancing teacher to spin into a tornado and this all leads them to um, a mass resignation uh, because they now believe that they are operated in a haunted house, which technically <laughs> for those few minutes is, is true. For some reason, uh, Sally sets up a reel-to-reel projector to show footage of the, the tutors harassing Yukari. Yeah, like, again, um, she just, like, kind of yeah. barges in and walks through the wall like nobody's going to notice. And nobody does notice, so I guess it worked out. Yeah. Well, we, we see her put up the, the projection screen. We don't see where she gets the projector from. Uh, I can only assume that she conjured it out of nowhere. 
Um, and I, I don't really know why she had, why it was necessary to show that footage of like the, of the, the tutors harassing Yukari and cause them to just, to just run away. It seemed, it seemed like an unnecessary move at that point. I um, guess they, they knew that they were harassing her and didn't want that to be known by the mother. Uh, maybe. So I, I, I still. Yeah. Bit, bit of a strange choice. Uh, anyway, the episode ends with uh, Yukari happily playing volleyball with her classmates, and then uh, just because we have to get some cub abuse in, uh, <laughs> they, they they knock the ball down a hill, and he has to go chasing after it. Uh, and that is episode 43 of Sally the Witch. So, not the best episode that I watched, but I think it uh, it had some uneven quality to it. Uh, it is demonstrative, is what it is. It, yeah. It's uh, a good example of what the show usually delivers, not necessarily what it does when it's working at its most optimal we get a little uh we spend a little time with almost all the main characters from the show so it's uh you know it's a, it's a pretty good encapsulation i find if you do want to watch sally the witch uh the, the i mean you, pre- you pretty much have to pirate it it has never been translated yeah you either have to pirate it or spend hundreds of dollars on a japanese box set yeah um it has never been made available in english in any form whatsoever uh not the manga not the anime uh, I don't think it's even had any, like, weird direct-to-video one-off episodes um, dubbed into English or anything like that. Really, the only presence it's ever had in North America was Minifei, the Quebec dub. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess and again, that one giant robo-appearance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, again, that's that's sunny, so yeah. it's quite debatable whether it counts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you you pretty much have to watch fan subs. Uh, there's like the first few black and white ones are are subtitled. A few episodes, like 40, 42 to forty eight or something, in the middle of the color episodes are sub, but that's about it. Um, you can probably find you can probably find the rest out there uh, if you look hard enough. Um, there is that DVD set of Mini Fay. Uh, I, I'd be interested in trying to track that down, but I think mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're pretty much going to have to look in, you know, when you're able to visit stores again, which, uh, we are not able to do with at the time of this recording, cause we're all, uh, we're all in quarantine. Um, you know, you could probably look around at used stores. There might, there might be a copy. That'd be a, a pretty neat thing to find mm-hmm. overall. Um, so yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's pretty much all I have to say on Sally the Witch. It seems that... Uh, when you when you actually dig into it, there's quite a bit out there about Minifay because it again was was a a, a pretty notable dub. Uh, one thing we haven't touched on is the other Sally the Witch series from 1989. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one actually was dubbed in France um, shortly after it debuted uh, in Japan, and the dub for that series completely ignores and disregards the Quebec dub. It has no connection to it whatsoever. Uh, Sally actually is named Sally. I'm not sure about the other characters, but that is going to be the version that I think is more well-known uh, outside of Japan and outside of Canada uh, compared to the original series, which pretty much was only in, in those two markets and then a few other ones. Uh, did you have anything to say about that series? That one's even harder to track down, I feel like. Uh, the yeah. only, even the even the pirated copy that I found was the, the Russian dub. <laughs> Oh wow! Yeah, um, there is one fan sub of it of of one of the the very short like theatrical quote unquote movies that was made for it, which I think is Sally the Witch Mother's Love is Eternal. Uh, so that is fan subbed out there. You can theoretically find it, but the rest of it is yeah even harder to track down than the original. Yeah, 
Yeah, I'm I'm interested in checking out the movie. Uh, I'll probably uh, yeah, do that at some point. Yeah. It's very unlike other Sally stories because it is like most of it takes place in like a fantasy realm and not just mm-hmm. like the nether realm magic kingdom, whatever, but like an actual like, oh, there's fantasy creatures everywhere and whimsical forests and stuff. <laughs> and that uh, that 80s show, significantly more toyetic than, oh, yes. uh, the 1960s original. It's oh, like, yeah. Like Sally for, has a mask on for notice. no reason. <laughs> yeah. Just so First like thing you'll notice when you check it out. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's pretty much all I've got to say on uh, on this series. I'm glad I, I got a chance to cover it, and uh, I'd like to. I hope I can use this as a the research I did here to sort of dig into some other titles as well. So we'll we'll leave it at that. Can you let people know again where they can find you on social media? Sure thing. Uh, again, my my YouTube channel is Aaron Cerise, E R Y N C E R I S E. Um, and my Twitter is the same handle, so you can fi- follow me on either of those platforms. Uh, again, Maho profile is <laughs> taking a bit of a time between episodes right now, just due to the amount of time the current episode is going to take. Uh, but eventually, uh, you will see a great exploration of Cutie Honey coming out of the channel. <laughs> I am looking forward to that. And uh, thanks for tuning in. You can reach me on Twitter at jbetteridge or email zonincanada at gmail.com. Uh, the theme song for the show is by Ultra Clystron. It can be found on his album Packet Flood, and you can find that at ultraclystron.com. Uh, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Spotify. Also, I, uh, I have a coffee account. I don't, I'm not hurting for money or anything, but it would be nice if I could break even on the SoundCloud fees, uh, every month. So you can find that at ko-fi.com slash Canada. So yeah, thanks for listening. See you again. Tell